a lot of younger generations of filmmakers don't fully understand what we do. And that's why our job gets cut on certain things. Like a lot of the time they don't think they need one because we don't shoot on film anymore. So it doesn't matter what the circle take is. But we do so much more than that. So much more. And that's what people don't realize. Welcome to Pictures Up, the podcast where we talk about careers in film. You know, I thought I knew what the job of script supervisor was, but I tell you, talking with Sarah Wilgrube really gave me a new appreciation and a new understanding for what that job actually entails. Sarah has worked both in the TV world as well as the feature film world. She's worked on TV shows such as Adam Ruins Everything, Radlands, and Freakish. Also worked on uh, The Kings of Summer, the feature film, and also a film that we worked together on called Old Fashioned. So without further delay, let's go ahead and get into the conversation that I had with Sarah in a somewhat noisy Walmart parking lot. So just try to bear with the audio quality. Uh, it's actually only bad in uh, one or two places for a few seconds. But uh, just in case you're wondering what that background noise is, and uh, let's go ahead and get into it. It's good to see you again. It's been quite a while, probably since Old Fashioned. What year did we shoot that? It was fall of 2011. That was a long time ago. It was, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's pretty neat to go see a movie in the in the theater that you worked on. Mm-hmm. It, was, it was very impressive that we got such a huge national release. It was like, I it know. was exciting. I know, it really was. It's cool to see the poster up in the marquee and mm-hmm. all that stuff. So I guess to get things started, what has your film career been like? Like how you got interested in film at some point mm-hmm. and it sounds like you went to school and so on. What's what's that path been? Well, I always knew I wanted to work in movies. Um, I used to watch like this is really kind of sad, but I used to watch Entertainment Tonight. And like I originally wanted to be an actor because I wanted to be a certain level of like famous. Sure. And then as like school went on and time went on, I um, figured out that I really wanted to work very far behind the camera and make the movies. So Well, that's quite an about face. I know. Well, <laughs> you know, kids, we change our minds. That's true. <laughs> um, so then I decided, I transferred colleges a couple times, but ended up at SCAD, Savannah College of Art and Design, and majored in video and film. I originally wanted to be a director. Um, and while I was at SCAD, one of our professors used to be a script supervisor. So that's how I kind of got introduced to this job. She gave us a seminar on how to do it. And her career path was to start as a script supervisor and then become a director. And I decided I wanted to follow that path. Okay. So after I graduated, I moved to New York City with a couple of friends. And that's actually where I did my first two jobs. We're going to have to, at some point, address the question of what a script supervisor does. Of course. <laughs> uh, this is probably a good a time as any. <laughs> so as a script supervisor, my main job is to maintain continuity. Um, but we also do... And what's continuity? Continuity is making sure that everything matches from take to take. So if the actor was holding a pen in a right hand in one take, they're holding the pen in the right hand in the other take. But there are many other things that we also do. Um, I kind of consider the job to be like a checker. We have to make sure everything matches. So costumes match, props match, 
set dressing matches. Um, we also deal with making sure that screen direction is being maintained. Um, there's but your director and DP aren't crossing the line yes, indiscriminately. Exactly. And by crossing the line, I'm not talking about, uh, I'm talking about continuity wise. <laughs> that 180 line. <laughs> yeah. For example, the director I'm working with right now and the DP insisted on crossing the line in coverage oh, the other they? day. Like yes. frequently or just in they this one instance? They've been crossing the line from like a wide shot to then like shooting coverage, which is kind of sort Unusual. of normal. It's sort oh. of, well, it's sort of, it's more acceptable. From a wide. Yeah, to go okay. from a, a wide, but they crossed it in the coverage. Hmm. So we were shooting up against a locker, and for some reason our DP insisted on shooting over the actress's left shoulder. So then when he went to shoot the reverse, he couldn't get close enough to the locker to shoot the actress over the actor's right shoulder. And they just told me it would be fine. <laughs> so they didn't want to go back and repeat the coverage they'd already done. So they were say, sort of painted into a corner, it sounds like. Yes, they painted themselves into a corner and they decided that they were fine with it. And then they told me that they love crossing the line and they're going to do it all the time. <laughs> to which you responded? A little part of my soul has died. <laughs> <laughs> I see. Hopefully the audience has some idea of what it is your job is to keep track of. How do you do that? Well, there is one more very big facet of my job that I didn't okay. mention. Okay. Um, yes. We also take notes for editorial. Right. So we're kind of like the conduit between what happens on production and what happens in post. Right. So that they know what's going on. You referencing that right now is that that's one of the important ways that you do that is you take notes. Mm -hmm. But that's probably not all. Uh, well, while watching a take... Um, I think everyone kind of does it differently, but I look for th certain things in certain orders. So the first take, I watch what the actor's doing and I make little notes about it and I take screen grabs um, because a lot of the time you need visual proof. Okay, so how do you, do you, do you just do that with your phone or is it, how do you get screen grabs? I just do it with my phone. There is various software that some script supervisors use, like a lot of black magic yeah. image captures. Right. I personally don't like it because you have to wrangle cable. <laughs> oh, I see. And you have to hook it up to monitors and you have to figure out how to hook it up. And most of the time on the kind of jobs I work, we're moving around way too much Quicker for that. Quicker than yeah. would permit that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And if you can just do it by shooting it off the screen. I mean, I do that too mm -hmm. when I'm DPing something. Frequently, I'll shoot, I'll shoot key things off the monitor so I don't have to go talk to anybody to get a quick reference of of something. So yeah, yeah, it just makes life faster and easier and quick reference. And oftentimes, um, like I type my notes in digitally on the computer and I turn everything in digitally, but like, I'm not going to walk around with my computer. Right. So if I need to, for example, show a DP that the actress should be looking camera left instead of camera right, it's just so much easier to grab my phone and be like, here's where she was looking. This is what it should be. Or if an actor is like, are you sure I had that in my right hand? I can be like, yeah, here you go. 
So do those those quick snapshots that you make of the screen with your phone, do those become part of the actual notes or did you you just sort of use those in the in the moment on the day or would you pull those up days later or? Um, I, I don't turn them in. Um, I use them for my own reference. I see. Is there other stuff you take pictures of? Like, do you document wardrobe and things like that? Or does the wardrobe department do that? In the film industry, every department is responsible for their own continuity, which okay. is, again, why I consider myself to be like a checker. Right. A DP should be following mm -hmm. screen direction and all that stuff. Right. Yeah. The DP should know his own screen direction. The costumes department should know their own costumes. Props should know which props are required in the scene. But every once in a while, I mean, we're all human, so we all forget something. Yeah. So you're that, that second set of eyes mm -hmm. that has the panoramic view that is just looking for continuity. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, But do you photograph... Um, costume, for example, or would you rely on them for that or photographing? No, I would do my own photos. I do my own okay. photos. I see. Okay. Very interesting. I sort of diverted from your story. Where did things go there or from there? Um, well, New York is a very expensive city. So I did two movies there. Um, and I could have afforded to keep living in New York city, but I couldn't afford to find a new apartment. So that sent me, like many poor post-college students, back to Ohio, where I'm originally from, and um, back in with my parents. I see. So then I, I took a couple years off from the industry because it wasn't booming in Ohio yet. Like, yeah. there were commercials coming in, but I wasn't established. Um, so I actually started grad school online from okay. SCAD. Oh, okay. Um, I also chose a job where you don't make any money. I chose arts administration. But then... For your degree. Yeah, for my degree. I see. But then Ohio started picking up. And um, I did a movie in 2010 in Columbus, Ohio, called God Don't Make the Laws. And that kind of got me established as a script supervisor in Ohio. I met the right people. I made the right contacts. And then the next thing you know, Steve Campanella was calling me to work on other movies, which led me to join the union. So I joined the East Coast Script Supervisor Union in 2012. What union is that? Uh, we're IATSE 161 out of New York. You mentioned 2012. We worked together on a project in 2011. Mm -hmm. So, and did Steve bring you onto that project? Steve did bring me onto that project. I met Steve on God Don't Make the Laws, which I believe we shot in 2010. Okay. And then in 2011, Steve got me hired on a movie called Boot Tracks. It was, I believe, a tier one union film. And then that led to Old Fashioned, where I met you. Uh, you mentioned tier one. Uh, and I've spoken a little bit, I think maybe with Col Colleen about this. Uh, what's tier one in the union? Um, or, or in the union, I mean, what is a tier one project when it's a union project? The tiers kind of dictate how much the budget is, or they reflect how much the budget is and dictate like what your pay is going to be. I see. So I believe a tier one roughly goes up to one and a half million. Okay, so it's the first rung of the ladder. Mm -hmm. So one is low, not 
almost top of the heat. Actually, I think I, there is a tier zero. So okay. I think I have that wrong. I believe a tier zero is up to about one and a half million. A tier one is up to about three. Okay. And then a tier two is usually up to around like six. I see. Okay. We don't need to dwell on that. But, uh, <laughs> but it, I was just trying to get a sense for uh, it was a low budget project. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Low budget. But yeah, that's how I got my start. As I see. Professionally. So um, now then, you know, we're here in Cleveland right now. Mm -hmm. um, did you stay here in Cleveland? Have you, has most of your career been in this area? Have you traveled some? I did move to Los Angeles in 2013. Okay. I, Cleveland gave me a really great start, and I built up a really great resume, and I wanted to move to L.A. and kind of see what my career could be there. Um, if I could get bigger tiered projects, if I could work on TV. Um, so I moved to L.A. in 2013, and in 2014 is kind of... I feel like that was the best year of work in my life. Okay. I did 10 movies. I bounced back and forth between Cleveland and Los Angeles. Okay. And worked constantly. In 2014. Mm hmm And it sounds like hopping back and forth is part of what enabled you to be so consistently employed. Is that true? Or? Yes, that's definitely true. Ohio was, or Cleveland was very, very, very busy in movies in 2014. It sounds like you found some degree of success in Los Angeles, or at least mm -hmm. some degree of success in traveling to where the work is, <laughs> uh, you know, whether it's there or here, but you're not still out there. So what, uh, what made things change? I was never in love with Los Angeles as a city. Tell, tell us more. <laughs> uh, there's a lot of traffic. Yes. <laughs> um, it's, I mean, yes, the weather is great. And you do have mountains on one side of you and the ocean on the other. Yeah. But this past year, I really grew to... My priorities in life changed. Um, I grew to really miss my family and want to be close to my family and want a family of my own. Yeah. And I felt like that was never going to happen in Los Angeles. I see. Um, dating there is very difficult. Mm. Um, people, it's kind of like Peter Pan syndrome. Every, you stay young like forever and oh. <laughs> people don't commit. So Interesting. So it, it's, uh, yeah, I've heard that before, that Los Angeles is sort of the chronically teenaged uh, mm -hmm. city. You know, everybody wants to act like they're still a teenager. Mm -hmm. And rent is really expensive. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and yeah. It's in, driving around Cleveland this morning. I'm, <clears throat> I've been surprised. At, I guess it is a Sunday, but it's the traffic has been so manageable. It's been easy to drive around. That's a big plus. <laughs> yeah, and I don't know if that's unusual. It, it, is that somewhat usual for here? Mm -hmm. Yeah, not too bad. Um, yeah, I mean we do get rush hour traffic. Yeah, like anywhere, but it's nothing compared to LA. You moved back here. In 15, I'm assuming? No, I just moved back, actually. Oh, really? Yeah. So you've been in L.A. for, you were in L.A. for a while. I was in Los Angeles for about five and a half years. Oh, okay. Yeah. I did not know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, I just moved back, uh, like, three weeks ago, actually. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> um, so while I was in L.A., 
Yeah. Um, I also broke into the TV industry. Okay. So that was a, that aspect of things was a success. Yes. Yeah. Um, I booked a TV show in 2015 called Adam Ruins Everything. You can watch it on True TV. I believe they're still showing reruns. Um, and then that also led to a Hulu show called Freakish. And then most recently, another show for CBS All Access called No Activity. Okay, so how I, I'm not real familiar with the history of those shows. How long did they run for? Adam Ruins Everything did. I've they're heard, actually, they're actually shooting one, yeah. another season right now, but I oh, decided okay. to move back, and oh, I so see. I didn't do it. Um, they would so they would have a total of four seasons. Freakish only did two, and CB and um, the CBS show No Activity I think did two seasons. I see. So you were you stayed busy out there. I did. Yeah. It was really nice. It was great. Um, I'll tell you a little bit about the differences between script supervising on movies and script supervising on TV. Okay. Sounds good. TV is really hard. Okay. <laughs> um, well, there's so much more material that has mm -hmm. to stay consistent. Consistent material and constant changes. Oh, okay. Um yeah there are revisions daily and then another big difference between tv and movies is from a script supervisor perspective is the writers control tv mm. like in a movie as a script supervisor you go to the director the director is the one that like makes your decisions and then he's the one that deals with the producers whereas in tv it's the writers the writers are constant the crew is usually constant the directors are changing so whenever there is like, if you're questioning a story point or something like that, whereas on a movie, I would go to the director in TV, you go to the writers and the showrunner. They're the ones who make the decisions. What is the schedule like on uh, narrative, uh, narrative films versus television is uh, how, what days of the week and how many hours a day and that kind of stuff? Usually Monday through Friday strict 12s okay um i did have friends who worked on a show for abc and they would go to 14 but the studio would cut them off at 14 they wouldn't let them go over 14 hours um but yeah monday through friday 12 hours really great you know you have your weekends free whereas on movies you sometimes end up working on saturdays i see so um or probably just about any day like yeah yeah um well that's that's interesting so did which one did you find to be is one more exhausting than the other tv is definitely more exhausting okay because it's also a longer run you, you do take hiatuses but like you could go for like six weeks in a row or more before you take a hiatus you see the right. same people <laughs> right for months yeah which is uh <laughs> for somebody in um you know most of working america they're like well we see the same people every day like all the time but in film and television it's unusual to be with a group of people that long yeah so is it the length of the day it sounds like it's not so much the length of the days as it is that it's just consistent work week after week is that kind of what you're saying 
Yes, which is like good, and that's like right. the dream. Right. But it's also just very taxing and very exhausting. How do you take care of yourself? Uh, it, the film industry, you can very easily get beat up just mm -hmm. working like ridiculous hours and not having any personal life and, uh, you know, you know, giving up a lot of your ability to stay healthy and stuff just because the nature of what the work demands what I guess what can you say about trying to balance that and have you feel, felt like you've been successful or unsuccessful or do you have any advice? I feel like I've been very unsuccessful. Okay. <laughs> um, well, the one thing I do and my position allows this and I think a lot of positions do unless you're an AD is I do not work on weekends. Okay. And I don't work off the clock. Like that's very important to take your personal time. We also, like, where I think I've failed is that I snack way too much and you have all your meals prepared for you. So it's like you're right. eating at a restaurant all every <laughs> single day of your life. Yeah. So a lot of people joke that, you know, you only have dessert on Friday. <laughs> but there's always dessert there. <laughs> <laughs> On the face of it, the idea of eating at a restaurant all the time doesn't sound that bad. But then once you experience something like that, it's like, oh, there's definitely a downside to mm -hmm. this, too. Yeah. So you just moved back. Just moved back. And you're on this Amazon show, which is... No, not Amazon. I'm on um, a Netflix movie. Netflix movie. Okay. Is, and that's But that's the one that... Okay, right, right, right. Colleen's, Colleen's on, on the, the Amazon, Amazon show. And you and Marlo yeah. are on the Netflix movie. Mm -hmm. So uh, how far are you through the schedule with that? Uh, we are nine days out of 25. Okay, so a third of the way, a little more? Yeah. In. Yeah. Are you tired yet? Yes. <laughs> the reason I'm tired on this show is because our locations are so far away. Um, like we, okay, so we're shooting in... Our base camp or our, our production office is in Cleveland, but we have gone as far as Elyria, Oberlin, Nelson's Ledges, and all those locations are anywhere from 40 minutes to an hour away. Do they compensate you at all for those distant locations? Because usually it's a 30 mile radius, right? Mm -hmm. are, are those within that radius and it just takes a long time to get there or are those outside of one of them is outside. Okay. I don't remember which one it is. But yes, we do get compensated for being outside of the TMZ. Your transition back to Ohio seems like it's been a success so far. So far. <laughs> yeah. And you've got at least, uh, what, 25 minus 9, uh, 14 more uh, <laughs> days. days of gainful employment ahead yes. of you, right? And that's production days, right? Not mm -hmm. calendar days. Yeah, production days. Yeah. And are you shooting, you're shooting five days then? Five day weeks? For the most part, five day weeks. However, we did just do a six day week this week. Okay. And we may do a six day week our last week. Now, when they put you on a five day schedule, is there some sort of additional, like obviously you get paid for the sixth day, but mm -hmm. is that treated just like another day or do you get more because it wasn't part of the deal? Oh, we get more. We get time and a half all day long. All day long. Okay. And then if a freak occurrence happened and you worked seven days in a row, you would get double time all day long on your seventh on day. On the seventh day. Wow. 
So, um, and that's that's because you're in the union. Mm -hmm. um, and I, you know, I talked for quite a while with Colleen about uh, union policies and so on. But it sounds like even if you're on a non-union project, they do try to make sure that people are treated fairly and so on. And that it sounds like this market, they allow you to to work on both sides to to a point anyway. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, when I um, joined the Script Supervisor Union in Los Angeles, they blatantly said, work on non-union stuff, we get it. Oh, okay. So even in Los Angeles, that's true. Mm -hmm. For okay. my union. For your union. For mine. Right. Other unions might feel differently about it, but realistically, like you can't tell people not to work if you're only getting offered non-union jobs, even if you're in a union. So did you have to choose a production city? Like Colleen, she initially chose New York as her union production mm -hmm. city, and then she had to transfer it to Los Angeles. Did, for your union, uh, you're, you're one of the chapters of IATSE. Mm -hmm. So w is it that same way? No. Her union is a national union. Okay. And that's why you, like the DGA, that's why you, predict, you choose a production city. My union, we have, based on my understanding, because I do think there are some states that have their own union, but for script supervisors, there's basically two. IATSE 161 out of New York and 871, which is like Los Angeles, New Mexico, Arizona, that side of the state or of, or of the country. So did you have to join that one as well? Mm -hmm. I am uh, in two unions. Two, four script supervisors. Yes. To IATSE unions. Mm -hmm. That seems, I don't it's understand why dues. they're not just national <laughs> unions. Yeah. Um, I don't know. And it's really interesting the differences between the two because they're two completely different medical systems. Oh, interesting. Mm -hmm. Two completely different work? pensions. You pick one. <laughs> um, well, when I was in Los Angeles and when I was in TV, it was easier to just use that for my health insurance and out there it's MPI but there is a way that if since now I'm back to being based in Ohio I can have my LA Union medical transferred to the I East see. Coast one it's very complicated huh. yeah it seems as an outsider who has little uh, experience <laughs> with it it sounds like they need to get their act together and just unify some stuff it would be nice yeah huh very interesting. Um, so now that you've moved back here, though, you're working under the New York mm -hmm. side. What does a person working on the kinds of projects that you do in the kind of capacity that you do, what kind of a take home would a person doing that? Like, I don't want to be too personal, but uh, like, what's what kind of compensation is there in the line <laughs> of work that you're doing at the level that you're doing it? Well... Don't become a script supervisor because we are one of the lowest paid positions. Really? Okay. We are, yes. Um, which infuriates me most of the time. <laughs> I think that the president of IATSE thinks that because we just take notes and our job isn't hugely physically demanding that it's not difficult. Mm. But our job is incredibly difficult. It's mentally taxing. It's exhausting. Um, 
And we literally, it's almost like we work in every department. Yeah. Essentially, at the end of the day. Like on a tier zero, you make around 14 an hour. A tier one, you make about 24. Tier two, about 34. So they go up in like $10 increments. Okay. But if Colleen told you how much she made, she's probably at least $5 more than I am, mm, if mm-hmm. not more. Yeah. I'm, I can't remember off the top of my head, but that, that sounds mm-hmm. sounds right. So here's an interesting question. Is that infuriating because it's not a living wage, or is it infuriating because you're not get, getting the respect you deserve? Respect that we deserve. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so that's your base wage. Once you get overtime and other things, uh, especially on the profile of the project, you're doing, it sounds like you'd be doing okay, you know? Oh, yeah. I mean, financially, it's totally workable and great. But when you sit there and you're like, I tell a second AC what goes on a slate and they're making more money than me, right. that's when it's like, we and oftentimes we aren't paid as a department head and we should be being paid as a department head because we are um a lot of the times we get paid at, for like the position that's right below a department head i can't remember what the term is right now but right the the sort of best boy or yeah yeah position i see you initially chose script supervision as a route to directing yes and you've mentioned that uh, it's it doesn't feel like one of the most respected members of the crew, at least based on the way that the compensation structure mm-hmm. is set up. And you're back here at home in Cleveland mm-hmm. and working as a script supervisor. What is your is your game plan? Has your game plan changed? Or do you, do you still plan? Are you still do you have irons in the fire towards directing or? Uh, do you feel like script supervising it has developed into a career that you would want to stick with for, for a while, if not long term? Um, I went through a lot of like trying to figure that out this year, especially with moving back to Cleveland. Right. That's a big decision in and of itself. Yeah. I do still think I want to pursue becoming a director. I just haven't figured out what I think the right way to do it is. I had a plan A, and my plan A didn't work. Um, So I'm still working on my plan B. And my plan A, um, for everyone who wants to know, was there are various directing programs in Los Angeles that, like, get you started. I see. Like, ABC has one, NBC has one, AFI has one. There's one called the Half Initiative. Um, So, and most of those are for just women. So my plan was to try to get into one of those programs. But you have to look at the fact that you're like one of probably 10,000 applying. So it's just a matter of, I think, just continuing to apply and reapply and alter my papers and alter the script that I'm submitting. Um, So that was my plan A. And plan A didn't pan out immediately like we all want things to do. Right. So I started my plan B, which was to start making my own short films. Um, So I shot one in 2016. And then I started making one this year that's only like halfway finished. It sounds like you are continuing to work on the directing uh, track like towards that. I think so. Yeah. I don't think I'm 100% giving up yet. Yeah. 
Well, just as an outsider, it seems like... Uh, <laughs> well, here's, here's the thing. I think that when you work on crew, mm -hmm. oftentimes you're kept so busy, it's very hard to think about washing your clothes, much less, uh, you know, some complex big project that you're trying to coordinate, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and also, it seems like, man, just, it's so hard to succeed as a director. I mean, I think that's just a fact, you know? Yeah, I think so, too. Um, that it's very difficult to be successful without giving it, you know, so much more time and energy than you really honestly have available if mm -hmm. you're working day in and day out on set in some other capacity. I don't know. What do you think about all that? I think you just have to have the drive and find the drive to do it. If that's your end goal, like, don't give up. And so there was a big part of me when deciding to move back to Cleveland felt like I was giving up. But then, like I said, my priorities changed and there are other things I want out of life also. So it's finding the balance between those two. So, yeah, I don't think I'm going to give up. I think I'm going to keep being a script supervisor and see what happens in five years. Who knows? If you could go back in time to uh, your, your first stint at SCAD, for example, mm -hmm. and give yourself uh, advice, or you could think more generally of, you know, people at that point in their careers now, what advice might be helpful to them? The only thing I think I really would have done differently, for me personally, because there's another bit of information or advice I'll give after this, but for me personally, I think I would have tried pursuing the director route sooner. I felt like it took me so long to even just be successful as a script supervisor that once I felt successful in that job, that's when I decided to start pursuing the other. And I think that I should have just pursued being a director sooner. I mean, I do like my job and I do like being a script supervisor and we learn from working with directors um, and that can only make you better. Um, but I think that's what I would have done. And I maybe would have found a way to stay in New York City instead of coming back to Ohio and just started my career sooner. But for anyone else, one of the keys in Los Angeles is finding that network. A lot of people do that by going to AFI or USC because you have to make so many projects that once you graduate, you're making them with your friends. Right. And so you already have that network build you up. You have a cohort, essentially. Yeah. 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 You have a, or like, you know a producer because you had a class with them and it's easier to get your foot initially in the door that way. And so even if you go there for like your master's or I think AFI offers other like postgraduate programs, like look into that, include that in your Los Angeles move plan if that's what you want to do. Your interest in directing actually developed after you became somewhat, uh, you, you sort of had your foot in the door as a script supervisor. Yeah? No. Yes and no. Okay. It was always the original dream was to be a director. Okay. I just chose the path that I thought would help me get there. It, it sounds like you would liked to have found a way to stay in New York and focus more specifically on your directing career early mm -hmm. on. Yeah. I think that you're probably right that that would improve your chances of being successful there. Obviously putting more effort and energy into something usually. And at least and sooner. 
too. And sooner, <clears throat> yeah, that's true. Um, is that you know you you hear the term fail soon or fail early? Like mm -hmm. obviously that isn't to suggest that you would have failed, but would it have sort of if you'd gone in and given that your full attention and energy, either you would have been successful or you could look back and say, well, you know, I gave that a, a you know, I really gave that a fair shot and it didn't work out, which sort of sucks. But, you know, I I can look back knowing that I, I gave it a good try mm -hmm. and and sort of with no regrets in this, that sense. I don't know. It's, I'm I'm embellishing or something. <laughs> that's not what you said to me. But is do you feel like that's true at some level? I feel like that's true now. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because when I moved back to Cleveland, the, uh, the original reason I left Cleveland was to try to get bigger and better jobs, but also because for me, I didn't feel like it was sustainable to be a script supervisor in Cleveland. I see. And so when deciding to move back here, that was something I felt like I needed to address and have like a backup plan. I mean, luckily I moved back, got hired on this movie, so I don't have to start working on that backup plan yet. But um, I think that's kind of, a, like kind of goes with what you said. Like I could fail by coming back. I could have to go out and get a new, like a real job. Right. Or you don't I- don't think working in movies is a real job? Well, nine to five. Yeah. Is a real job. <laughs> yeah. Like I thought like long and hard about the fact that I might have to do that. But you know, you can. I can also, if that does happen, I can still pursue being a director because I think a huge part of that is just continuing to make my own stuff, which can also be done here with all my friends that I've made who are still in the industry, and everything is cheaper here. Yeah, 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 for sure. <laughs> yeah, I, okay, I think I hear what you're saying, and I hope you didn't take my my reflection as to say that you didn't give it you oh know, no not a, not at all but but what you're saying is you look back and said uh, you know I, well i really i really did you know i've been out there i've been doing mm -hmm. it yeah <laughs> yeah and i totally get that yeah i technically lived a part of the dream the quote-unquote dream yeah i lived in la i made a living off of working in the industry i worked on many things so i mean i i have succeeded yeah 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 and, and I guess my comments were only relative to directing, mm -hmm. you know, being a director. What do you feel like is next for you? Oh, geez, I don't know. It's a tough question. I've never had a five-year plan, David. Yeah. <laughs> um, I honestly don't know. I think I am going to keep trying to be a script supervisor, freelancing, maybe try to break into the art department here just to have other options. Oh, okay. Um, I'm not, I definitely am not ready to leave the industry though. Okay. You want to keep working in film. I do want to keep working in film for sure. One of the things that I try to do when I'm talking with folks for this podcast is try to put myself in the position of my uh, students, you know, mm -hmm. cause that's really the, the motivation for doing this. And uh, some of my students are women, and I am not a woman. Um, <laughs> but it, would you have any unique advice or specific advice for for women uh, wanting to make their mark in in filmmaking? Uh, certainly, women are a minority in mm -hmm. in the industry. Although, I would is it true that script supervisors often are women? Most of the time, yes. Yeah. 
we are one of those jobs that is very often women. Yeah. So, sorry, I asked you a question <laughs> and then made a comment before you could answer. But what, what might you say to them? I would say just go for it and don't let anyone tell you you can't do it. If you want to be a DP, then be a DP. Be a grip. Be an electric. Learn all the positions and figure out what you want to do. But, like, we can lift sandbags just like any other guy can. So I think, <laughs> yeah, I, I would not disagree with that at all. I think there's been a lot of press coming out of uh, Hollywood within the last few years uh, about some of the challenges for being a woman in the film industry. Some people have told me that there are real problems. Some people have told me that the press that's coming out is not a universal experience. I, I'm mm. curious, like, what, like, is there anything you could speak to about that or anything that you think people should know about that? Are you speaking like the Me Too movement? Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. I personally have never felt harassed on set. However, there are stories of it. And like in general, on a film set, it's very flirty. Um, mm. And I'm not saying that that should be taken for granted or like you should accept it. You know what I'm saying? I'm just saying that's in general, that's how film sets are. You're with those people for 14 hours a day. You see them more than you see your significant other. Um, but I mean, if you feel uncomfortable, then you feel uncomfortable. I mean, that's what harassment is um like i've heard horrible stories of directors just abusing their script supervisors whether sexually harassing them or screaming at them or any number of things i have been lucky to have never experienced any of that well that's good that's yeah. good it's good to hear um it's good to hear that it's uh while it's out there which is not a good thing it doesn't sound like it's uh, necessarily everybody's experience and that I, well maybe I don't know if this is a good me metaphor or not but sometimes you, you hear about violence in a foreign country and you think oh I wouldn't want to go visit that country it sounds like it's very violent there right? and then if you talk to somebody from that country they're like oh I guess I heard that news story but they're not like terrified that you know, some, something terrible immediately is going to come and happen to them. And mm -hmm. that doesn't mean that the news story wasn't true. It just, maybe if that's all you're hearing about, it gives you sort of a picture of a more challenging environment than maybe it is in some cases. I don't know. Is that, I don't know. <laughs> no, that makes complete sense. Okay. So that, that sounds... <laughs> it was a good metaphor. Okay, good. Well, um, so you're not a five-year plan type of person. I am not. Yeah. So, um... If I were to check in with you a year from now, uh, what would you have hoped? Where would you like to see your, uh, things going for you at that point? In a year? Well, I just since I just moved back to Cleveland, I moved in with a friend. Okay. Um, I think in a year I'd like to be living on my own. Yeah. Like feeling like I'm like back on my feet. Yeah. Um, You've just landed. Yeah, yeah, I've just landed. Feeling like I'm back on my feet just working all the time i don't know <laughs> yeah so you just want to stay busy yes i just want to stay busy i want to be personally i like really rediscovered myself in the last year i went through a really bad breakup and um i just want to have i want to 
like my job, work constantly and be able to do the hobbies that I love, like traveling, rock climbing, um, paddle boarding, like that kind of stuff. So you just want to have a good life. Yeah, I just want to have a good life yeah. like anyone else. Yeah. Well, that makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> Well, very good. Well, um, I think I've covered most of what I hope to. Is there anything that you would just like to get out there? Like as you, you know, if you were thinking about what we might talk about, something that occurred to you that I haven't uh, brought up or just anything, any story or any interesting thing that you think might be worth sharing? I think if you're ever thinking about being a script supervisor, um, hopefully I gave you enough information about what we do. Sure, at least to figure, at least to know, oh, that's that's what they do. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. But one, I think one of the things that I really love about my job is that is working with directors who are super collaborative because it kind of, I mean, you're not a director, but I mean, it, it you use those same skills. Um, like, for example, in this movie, I don't sit by the director. He sits closer to the DP, but I sit by the writer because she's actually on set. And she asks my opinion when she's thinking about cutting a scene or something. Oh, interesting. Yeah. yeah. So like those are, I really like working with collaborative directors or writers in that respect. And I think that if you like reading and you have like really great reading comprehension skills, that is a huge part of our job. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Because you look at a script and you have to break it down and you have to look at like the story facts, like where if she's making a phone call in scene one, would she still have her phone in her hand in like scene two? Like you have to think about like stuff that carries over. Um, so you really have to you have understand to, the narrative, the, yeah. the story. Yeah, definitely. I had never really thought about mm -hmm. that. Yeah, makes sense. You have to know what's going on. Yeah. It's more than just looking at scene, fact, fact. Like you have to know the story. And that's interesting. I'd never thought about a writer consulting with you in that way, but it makes total sense also mm -hmm. because you're going to be uh, vigilant for how taking out a scene would impact the overall flow of the story. Mm -hmm. yeah. And another part of our job that I think I didn't really mention is that you also help the director and DP know that they're getting all the coverage that they need. Oh, like when helping them know when they have it. Yes, or like sometimes when you're shooting something, you're doing it so quickly or you get frazzled and you have to be like, yeah, we got it. Oh, I've yeah. Well, I've definitely been in that yeah. situation where uh, maybe I was on a, a smaller project that really didn't have a script supervisor and like later coming back and like, oh, we just didn't get those pieces that mm -hmm. we needed because, you know, everything's hectic and frantic and yeah. you think you have it and you just haven't thought of it about everything. Mm hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And you also have to know like what kind of that everything's going to cut together. So like knowing film theory is a huge part of our job. Mm -hmm. Knowing the 180 line, knowing yeah. the 30 degree rule. <laughs> right. Knowing shot size and variations of that. Um, yeah. Just knowing everything. <laughs> Hearing you talk about it like that, it makes me realize how much like, I think there are different levels that a person might do your job to, in a <laughs> sense, and realizing how much of an asset it is to have that really panoramic mm -hmm. understanding of the art form and story and literature and visual vocabulary and all that stuff. It 
you need you need that informed perspective to do your job well. And I, I'll be honest, I'd never really thought about it that way before. And you're not the only one. I think a lot of younger generations of filmmakers don't fully understand what we do. Yeah. And that's why our job gets cut on certain things like a lot of the time they don't think they need one because we don't shoot on film anymore. So it doesn't matter what the circle take is. But we do so much more than that so much more and that's what people don't realize but hopefully i can make them understand that yeah well hopefully folks listening to this will understand that a little bit better Mm -hmm. well very cool well um thank you so much for taking time yeah thanks for having me and uh i know it was touch and go trying to figure out some of the scheduling stuff and i'm sure people listening heard a car or two drive past (laughs) us in this parking lot but hopefully not so many that they got disgusted and stopped listening. So I doubt they did. <laughs> there anyway. was only one that was really Yeah, broken. there was. Yeah, <laughs> I, th- I think that was an intentional, possibly. Probably. Uh, yeah. Anyway. Well, thanks so much. Thank you. You know, it's actually funny and a little embarrassing that I worked with Sarah on a project for the better part of two months and never really fully stopped to think about all of the things that her job might entail. Even if you already had some level of understanding of what a script supervisor does, I bet you got a better idea of it now. I'm linking Sarah's IMDb page in the show notes for this episode, as well as giving a link to the podcast company, the Up2 podcast, that she works as a producer for as well. Make sure to look at the show notes and follow those links. And until next time, have a great one.